I consider you a friend. I consider you somebody I can count on. I consider you somebody that I could text and, and share things with and get a response that's valuable. And, um, and I didn't know that you existed a year ago. And so how many other people are there out there that we don't know exist right now that I would love to know about them? Welcome to Elements of Styles, the business podcast that trades in scarce thinking for community, conversation, and ideas in abundance. Each week, I, Mark Styles, sit with professionals and entrepreneurs, both local and global, and learn how they each add value to their communities, their partners, and their teams. Please enjoy. Hey, folks, welcome back to Elements of Styles. Today, I am grateful to have Sam Trimble of West, a WFG company. Sam is the marketing technology director for agencies like myself. Hey, Sam, how you doing? How you doing, Mark? Thanks so much for having me. I love that you do this. I mean, you just do so many different things. I think that's the really cool thing about like where we are though in, in like the business world now. I mean, I, you know, I'm 37, so it's not like I've been around that long, but just in the time I've been out of college in this world, like there's been a, we've started to prioritize, we want to work with or work for or be a part of groups of people that we like, that we actually like them as people, right? Like the days of just being like, oh man, I, you know, walking in and checking in and, you know, checking out and just being like, man, I just do this because I got to do it. I feel like those days are almost over, you know, like people, like we're only here a short amount of time. I don't want to work for or with somebody that sucks. Like, I don't want to be around that. So half of a job of a leader of, of a firm or a company or whatever it might be, any type of business is to be like, um, likable. It's PR. Like, would you want to come here every day and work with this group of people or would this suck? Like, would, you, would it Im, Im, empower you and improve your life or would it make it worse and make you miserable? And if it's the latter, people are just like, you know what? Like, I'm out and I'll take 50% paid to be out. You know, like- are you seeing are you are you seeing that in our industry are people having that epiphany or are people simply saying wow you know that's sam you know sam has the the ability to do that but not me i still have to it's got to suck for me I, I don't think so i mean I, I i think people are starting to see it like that this has been a crazy you know going on 2 years now and so i mean for a year and a half First, people had no idea what was going to happen. Oh, my gosh, this could be really bad. Then it was like, oh, my gosh, what happened? I've never seen a market like this in my lifetime. I don't know that anybody has because of the, you know, the interesting intricacies of it. But I think now was a time where, like, people either feel valued and empowered or they or this sucks. And if this sucks, like, because of the way the jobs market is right now, you can go anywhere in any industry, in any position, in any role and find another job right now. So, and not only find another job, but there's probably people like knocking on that door, right? Like they're, they're, they're seeking you. So if I feel undervalued, underappreciated, overworked, um, and I, I'm not in a place where I like the people, I think people are, I'm out. You know, there's, there's other people that seem likable and I'll at least give it a shot. Normally, I feel like people are, are, you know, strapped to that job or that desk because 
like they they literally are there's no other options maybe you know but now there's so many options and 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 if if things come back the way they should which obviously this last jobs report was crap um you know 275,000 jobs sounds great any other time but right now that's that's not a good situation but i think there's it's a rubber band man i'm just waiting for that like you know, I'm waiting to wake up one morning and, and see a jobs report and be like, holy crap, it was 1.7 million people and we were projecting 500,000, like we're back, baby. Like, and I think that's probably what's going to happen at some point. Um, but because of the, the weird economic, emotional jobs, you know, business place that we're in right now, you combine all those things. And I, 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 I don't know that anything like this has ever happened in modern era, you know, in America. And so the options are endless. So if you don't treat me the way I want to be treated and you don't value me, I'm probably out. And I'm out. I'm going to take a sabbatical out or I'm going to jump right to another greener pasture. I think that's something that's different now too, right? Like I, um, I, people are so used to, jumping from one thing to the next and like literally leaving a place on Friday and starting in a new place on Monday. Right. Right. Um, I, I feel like another thing that's happened because of the pandemic and just like resetting emotionally is that it goes back to like, we all know, I know a handful of people I'm in far West Texas, you know, I know a handful of people that are no longer here, you know? And it was like, man, like not only is there normally death, um, as, as the one guarantee in life, um, people say death and taxes, but like, you cannot pay taxes. There's consequences, but you cannot do that. Um, but you're going to die. We're all going right. to die. So it was already a guarantee, but to see it happen like this, I think people, um, like I said, that emotional reset where, you know, I change jobs once every decade for some people, some, 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 every, some, it seems like every six months, you look at their LinkedIn profile and it's like, oh my gosh, like, I know I have commitment issues of a different type, but you've got some serious, you know, <laughs> but, um, but I think uh, they take that as a time that it's like, man, I could take a couple of weeks right now and go do something with my family. And you see people doing that. I see friends and, and, and people even pulling kids out of school because that's so weird right now, right? Like, yeah, we could probably go to Hawaii for a week or go to Puerto Rico or something. And like, they could probably do it virtually, right? We'll just figure it out. Whereas when I was a kid, like if there was another kid that was out of school for a week and you found out they went on a vacation, everyone was like, what? Like, aren't you, you guys are going to go to jail probably, right? Like you can't do that. And now it's like, parents are just like, no, we're going to go do this as a family. I'm switching jobs. I'm taking two weeks off. We're going on a trip to the Tetons and to hell with the consequences. And then the consequences really like, there's really not consequences. It works out. Everything works out, you know? Um, so a long answer to that is, yeah, I think people are taking a little time between shifts now. Wow. That was some heavy stuff right there. So they're leaving West Texas though? Mm, I, people are coming to Texas, you know? I mean, I, I think people could say whatever they want about, about Texas and how, you know, everything's bigger, everything's better and the personalities and bigger, the hair, the closer to God. And I mean, all this stuff at the end of the day, I think, you know, things have gotten so political in today's world. You, you, you see me take like a big swallow there. I'm like, yeah. okay, I did some politics. Uh oh, you know, and there's the problem, right? Like I, you say the word politics and it's like, you know, and, and it, things have gotten so political that we, we just hear certain things on television media and news media and in the paper and all that kind of stuff. 
Um, but for the most part, I think people are excited to go places where people kind of leave them alone and back off, you know, like live your life, live your business. Don't be over, overly regulated. Don't be overly taxed unless I can give you a damn good reason why I'm overly taxing you. Um, you know, our, our parent company um, for West, you know, WFG national title based in Portland, Oregon, obviously Portland's going through some really tough times right now. Um, and I, it breaks my heart for the people. First of all, it's one of the most beautiful places on the face of the earth. If you've ever been, um, but secondly, you know, one of the people that really has been an impact in my life that got me here is the reason why I'm here and look past all my flaws and allowed me to have this opportunity lives in the heart of the Pearl District in downtown Portland. And it sucks right now. You know, like it's hard. There's a lot going on. There's, you know, it's more violent. There's more crime. There's more issues happening. And I hope that these are the outliers of time. And because we're in them, it's really bad and scary and impactful right now but looking back a few months a few years it'll be a little blip on the radar i hope um, but as far as texas and west texas are concerned we're growing um and we're growing from people coming from within this country and people coming from without this country and that's what i love about where i live is that you know every single person you meet on the street for the most part is gonna be somebody that has a great story about how they got here or how their parents got here. Most of them are first, maybe second generation Americans. Um, the Hispanic culture, you know, El Paso is right on the Texas, New Mexico and Mexico border, you know that. Um, I always, that's like, I always say that for some reason when I meet with people now, I wanna give them context. Um, but it's all about family and food and drink and culture and, um, People are just so, you know, I could walk up the street right now in a pair of boxers and knock on a door and say, I really need to use your phone right now. Can you help me? And every single person would be like, come on in. What's going on? How can I help you? That's where I live. And so I think not only the regulatory environment and the business environment for Texas as a whole, but a place like El Paso, everyone's like El Paso. It's the safest city in the United States, statistically speaking, according to the FBI for like the last like 10 years. There's no crime here, basically. I mean, relatively speaking. And so if people get rid of a preconceived notion about what they think El Paso might be, what they've heard, the border and danger and drugs and all this stuff, if they, if they get rid of that, they show up, everybody loves it. There's no, no one in their right mind comes here and leaves saying anything other than like, huh, that was a really cool, pleasant surprise. I'll be back. Um, so we're growing. People are coming here and they're discovering it. And when you can combine a, a really great business climate with really great people that are there to help, but not all up in your biz, like it's pretty cool. That is cool. Let's talk about the future of real estate. I know, you know, you said you haven't been around that long, but you've been around long enough and you've seen a lot of things. What do you see in the next three to five years? I was really stressed about the next 18 to 24 months of like foreclosures and massive REO business. And then I started thinking about it differently. So everybody that got a forbearance is going to get a letter soon if they haven't already saying, hey, this is what you owe now. You know, and, and forbearance has been one of those things that I think, um, I think the government and I think lending institutions did a pretty lackluster job of letting the public know what that actually means. You know, so I remember for, for gig, you know, just, just because I called my finance company for my, my main daily driver vehicle when this all happened, because I got something in the mail from them saying, you know, 
this company is, is offering delayed payments or something like that. And I was just kind of curious at the beginning, right? So I called and I asked them and they're like, yeah, you know, we'll tack it on the end of the loan. If you want to just take a couple months off, we're trying to help people out, you know, whatever. And I was like, okay, well, that's kind of interesting. And they're like, so did you want to move forward with that? And I was like, sure, why not? You know, so they're like, well, how, you know, how many months? And I was like, one, I just would, you know, and, and I was so blessed. It was unnecessary. It was more of an experiment than anything. And so they literally like threw a month on the end. So it was, you know, what, 61 months instead of 60 or something for my car. There was no payment. There was no nothing. There's no, you know, the, the added interest would be like $3 or something probably. And it, I didn't have to pay in April of 2020 or whenever that was. So people see that and they're like, oh man, this is awesome. Well, forbearance, it's like, hey, you skip six payments. No problem. We're not going to foreclose on you. At the end of that six payments, you now owe us $17,550 and it's due today. You know, and that doesn't mean that they're not working with people and whatever, but a lot of them are not, and they were not clear on how that would work. So the saving grace in all of this to me is, is that, man, what happened with the real estate market and what happened with values is so amazing that rather than these millions, millions of people that took forbearance on their notes being foreclosed on, um, they have so much equity that worst case scenario, they're going to end up short selling, but walking away with money. And they're going to be able to buy a new house. And hopefully there will be some kind of a, you know, waiver on short sales on people's credit for a little while, I would hope. But even if there's not, they're going to have enough cash because of what happened to the market. They're going to make money, walk away and be able to afford a down payment anyway. And so um, I'm not as afraid about that anymore. But that will be up to people in our industry, but specifically like real estate agents, educating people on what their options actually are. Um, and so I hope that happens. But that said, I mean, this is going to, to me, I got my real estate license in 2007. You know, I always tell this story and I think it may be a lie. You know, I, <laughs> my, my time frame may not be correct, but I remember getting, being in real estate school to get my real estate license it was right around that time when I got my license, right? So things were awesome. At that time, it was like, you know, I, my first broker used to joke about um, everybody wanted a three-bedroom, two-bath, and it was like a drive-through. And you'd say, do you want to supersize that with a fourth bedroom and a two-car garage? You know, yes, please pull up. I mean, it was just crazy. And so when I joined was when everything kind of fell off and it was not good. Um Tons of people left the industry from a realtor, real estate agent perspective. And the people that survived the next two or three years are the people that tend to still be in it now unless they've retired or changed industries or something. And so I think it'll probably be like that. It'll be mayhem. We're going to have to try and figure it out because all these forbearance issues and things like that that are kind of an outlier, it'll all get figured out. The It's kind of like... Um, you know, I'm all over. This is an insight into my ADD too. So, you know, people talk about our relationship with China as a country and, um, you know, the amount of debt that we have to them and are we beholden to them? And I flip the script and I say, we owe them so much money that if we don't pay, they'll fall apart. Like they've over leveraged themselves to us. And so are we in a bad position because we owe them so much money? Probably. Are they in a worse position because we owe them so much money that if we default, they're screwed? Probably. So I think, uh, some of these lending institutions that did a crap job of educating their clients, their, 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 you know, their customers on what 
what they were actually getting themselves into, I think are going to be the ones having to kind of eat crow and sit there and be like, we got to figure out a way to make this work. Otherwise we're going to be in not good shape. Well, you talk about, um, you know, the equity, right? I mean, why does the bank have to work with them, right? We've already started to see some really aggressive uh, servicers coming after folks that, you know, maybe they went into COVID behind and it's like, okay, time's up. We're, we, we want our money. Um, why would they have to do anything? The, the problem is, is how do the real estate professionals, how do they find these people as that train is chugging down the tracks on them and people are putting their head in the sand, right? Just like the short sale era, the foreclosure era, they'd throw the mail into the corner, but here, like, there's money for you, right? If you simply reach out to the real estate professional to help place somebody else in that home and give you some of that equity, dust off, move on, hopefully buy another home, maybe, maybe buying a home is not the right thing to do right now for you. Uh, but why does the bank have to work with them? I think because it's 2021, man. You can't yeah. say something to me that, that hurts my feelings without getting in trouble for it publicly. So to think that the, that the people, we the people will allow these massive, massive lenders to you know strip otherwise, and this is important asterisks here, like otherwise um, you know, worthy lindies, right? Like of their home. Um, I, I don't think we're going to let that happen. And you combine that with free market where, you know, a, a smart real estate agent is going to say, hey, you know, I did 50 transactions last year. It was my best year ever. If I could somehow tap into that market, I could do 500 transactions this year. And with the right marketing, um, getting to those people, letting them know that they have options, getting out in front of it. Um, I think the free market will take care of some of that too. You know, un un invariably there will be sob stories and things that are upsetting. And that's the thing that's so complicated too, what you just said. I mean, any disaster is, can be a good thing for some people, right? It was like, ah, crap, Mark, man, I hadn't made my last like six payments anyway, but here I'm kind of sliding in. It seems like this is the right place. So as a society and an industry, being overly defensive for those people when when you know the they come knocking is is not the right move i mean however the ones that were you know keeping up to date doing everything the right way and were impacted by this in ways that thankfully i think you and and me were not you know praise god um truly um those are the people that I think we're going to all have to rally around and, and the market will, will say, Hey, big lender. Um, no, this is not how this is going to go. Um, and, you know, invariably Washington will get involved. Some of it will be good. Much of it will be bad. Um, you know, but it, that's the cycle. Right. Um, but for the most part, I think in, in 2021, we, the people will not allow that to happen. I know that's like a broad kind of generic answer and like maybe even like utopian, but I think it's true. I think it is too. And I think there are a lot of people who don't truly understand what they agreed to when they agreed to the forbearance agreement. Oh, I mean, you, you, you sign electronic signature documents a lot of times. And like when, I mean, when was the last time anybody understood, you know, 
last time you got some change in your APR or something for your credit card or something and you had to sign something, did you read, I mean, you're an attorney, you know, like, did you read all that and understand every last bit of it? You know, well, that brings me to another really important topic that I wanted to talk to you about is the future of the actual closing, right? I mean, that's where people are going, right? And what you're saying right there is part of the reason why we're not there yet. Right. Like who's going to read the? They don't read them now when there's someone sitting in front of them going through them with them. Do you really think they're going to read them when it's electronically in front of them? How many pages is the purchase and sale agreement up there? Uh, typically, it's anywhere between four and 12. And then, of course, you have your bank owned REO or, or uh, reloads that are like 55. Yeah, exactly. But for the most part, the standard form untouched is four. Uh, when you start to modify and add riders, you know, eight to 12. Yeah. So in Texas, it's 12 right now, maybe even 13. When I started, it was seven. I remember when I started in real estate, I remember people telling me, like, when I started, it was one. And I've seen copies of the one page sale agreement, um, one to four family residential con sales contract is what it's called here. Um, I, uh, therein lies the problem, right? I mean, um, and as long as, as long as the documentation is so complex that a normal person operating outside of the real estate industry in their day-to-day -day would have a hard time following all of it, it's going to be really hard to make closings the way we really want to make them. That said, I don't think the complexity of the documentation is going to stop what's, what's going to happen. And I, I think the, you know, that... It's the Amazon effect, you know, I mean, in, in every possible way, I expect things quicker, I expect to know what's happening, I expect to have a timeline that's accurate. And if it's not, um, that's a problem for me as a consumer. And I expect the ease of, of any transaction to be through the roof. And so, um, you know, if I, uh, if I know, when I order a dog treat, which hopefully Hamilton doesn't hear me say that, <laughs> uh, he'll, he'll be in here if he did, trust me. If I order a, a dog bone on Amazon, I know when it was shipped. I know where it is at all times. I know when it's going to get to my house. Um, I know who to go to if I have a problem with it instantly with a two or three clicks. Um, and, and I don't know what's happening when I'm purchasing the largest thing that I purchase in my life. Like, really? And so the Amazon effect is cool because it's pushing us to be better and make the process easier and more understanding. Um, be more understanding and empathetic towards our clients and customers. However, this is not a dog bone. The complexity of it, I was talking to somebody in the car business the other day about the same thing. Um, the complexity of the documentation does not lend itself to, to being as easy as a dog bone. It never will. But if, if you can mirror that by making closings just like this, I can be anywhere, any place, um, the experience will change and people will come to expect that. And if you don't provide that, that will be a problem. And so I, the complexity is for us to figure out. We're the professionals. We need to figure out, and, and it will mean our uh, you know, political action committees through the, the Land Title Association, through the National Association of Realtors, through the Mortgage Bankers Association, lobbying in Washington um, and local and state levels as well to let leaders know we got to figure out ways to make this quicker and easier and more efficient for the consumer um, 
because again, it's 2021. We want to make everybody happy and, and make everybody's experience better. And we have enough to worry about. This shouldn't be one of those things. But but I, I think um, the future is bright. I think it's going to, you know, uh, it'll be fraught with, um, you got to you gotta try things. People are going to be guinea pigs at some point. I think that has mostly passed, but it's going to constantly change. And so um, at the end of the day, I think uh, it'll be a convenient process to close a home. People like Rocket Mortgage <clears throat> and companies like that through Quicken and whatever, are developing loan processes that are quick and easy and you really can apply with with you know two or three minutes on your phone through an app you know i mean that's pretty cool you know and and they have gamified the experience too you're you're 20 here's what's next here's what's this here's the pie chart filling itself out congratulations confetti at the end right i think it's the um as things like title fraud and title theft and all that stuff gets talked about because of all kinds of you know massive ad spends by companies that may or may not have a, a, a lot of value. That's a conversation maybe for another day. But because of those types of things, um, now more than ever, I mean, the, the title industry has a very, um, it's what makes the real estate world different uh, in the first world versus the rest of the world. And when title insurance came about, um, it changed everything because before some wealthy landowner could just come up and say, Hey, this piece belongs to me. And if you couldn't defend yourself, there was a good chance that you were walking down the road with your stuff that day. Um, and title insurance made it that what's yours is yours and they will defend you and it will never be anybody else's and for you and all your heirs. And it changed the game but it's complicated, <laughs> you know, um, you can't, it's not two clicks and submit. It, it just doesn't work that way. So although the process I think will streamline and be much more um, amenable for consumers and more relatable compared to what they're used to doing on a daily basis, it's never going to be Amazon because this is not a dog ball, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, Do you see blockchain playing a factor in title? Yeah. I, I really do. Um, I, I, I think, I think anybody that says that, that there's no, um, use for that in, in the title industry, I think is a little maybe, you know, off, uh, that said, it's not going to replace entire back offices of examiners and professionals like, um, you know, AI and stuff like that can examine documents, but it can't interpret them, you know, and, and maybe someday it will, but we're not there right now. And so having people that have spent decades, um, you know, running chains and looking at the intricacies of, you know, different airships and different things that can happen in the real estate world cannot be replaced by, by AI and then, you know, um, completely replaced with blockchain. That said, I think it's absolutely going to end up being a part of the industry. And if you don't embrace the useful parts of that, um, that could be a problem, I think. That could be a problem. I like that. What about real estate professionals fear of tech and that tech is going to take their jobs away. What do you say to them? I say it will take a percentage of your opportunities away. However, I, um, going back to that conversation with a friend of mine in the car business, you know, his family has a, some very successful dealerships in the Southwest and other parts of Texas. And we were talking about like Carvana right? Like you could pull up and it's like, you know, a big vending machine, or you can have it delivered to your house. 
that's never going to be me. I want to touch it. I want to feel it. I want to smell it. I want to, I want to ride in it. I want to drive it. You know, I want to run my hand down the line of the car and, um, I'm never going to order a car online and have it dropped off at my house. I'm never going to get one out of a vending machine. Just like that, I'm never going to do a real estate transaction where I'm using an app for the whole thing. I like humans. I like experts. I like relationships. And I want to feel like I'm protected. And this doesn't make me feel like I'm protected. And so will there be people, are there people that use the Carvana vending machine? Yes. Do the majority of people feel comfortable doing that? No. Like, and so it's going to be the same thing. I mean, there's no app that can come out. There's no, um, you know, AI concierge service that can come out that can give you the same experience as a realtor who knows a neighborhood, who's been there, who grew up there, who knows everybody. That when you're walking into a house, the neighbor across the street says, "Hey, Mark, how you doing? Hey, Chuck, everything's good, man." Right? Like you can't replace that with an app. So, technology is absolutely coming. It's already here. Um, you know. Um, offer up and all these different, you know, people that are going in and snatching up houses, fixing them up, reselling them without a realtor and things like that. Um, that's going to be the outlier. And frankly, at the end of the day too, um, you know, the National Association of Realtors is, if not the largest, one of the largest trade organizations in America and has a very uh, loud well understood and well respected voice when it comes to regulatory and compliance issues in Washington DC. So that said, if there was a massive threat to um, everyday realtors, I would feel relatively confident that they would be able to defend themselves against that threat. It comes down to relationships right? 100%. at the end of the day. So let's talk about your relationships. What are you doing these days? Um, so I have probably the coolest job I've ever heard of. Um, and I, I would say like, don't tell my bosses I said that, but I tell them that all the time. And I thank them for the opportunity every chance I get. Um, I was in the title insurance business in Texas and New Mexico, and I had 11 underwriters. So I had a little bit of experience with everybody. Um, there were those that were kind of competing with me down the street, but still wanting our business. There were those that weren't in the agency business so they didn't, you know, they weren't having the same pains and strains that we were having and didn't quite understand. And then there was, there was the company that I work with now, you know, WFG National Title, and they do a little bit of both so they can understand one on the West Coast only, um, every place else is agency. And it literally, there was a guy named Walt Kozwalski, who's a been a title examiner for pushing 50 years here in El Paso, former track star at Austin High School, he would tell you. And I had Wednesdays with Walt. And the first thing he told me, one of the Wednesdays that stuck out the first Wednesday was a rising tide raises all ships. So I'm here to help you learn. And if you learn, other people are gonna learn and we're all gonna get better. Like if I leave all this stuff in my brain, it's not gonna do me any good when I drop dead. It's not gonna do you any good. It's not gonna do the world any good. So his mentality, a rising tide raises all ships. I say that all the time. You hear me say that all the time, WFG embodies that. So my whole role is I go all over the country virtually right now and meet with title agents and figure out how to help them grow their business and then actually do it. Um, you know, marketing, technology, sales strategy, all that kind of stuff. 
but it's just cool because I literally go in <clears throat> with nothing but the intention to help streamline and grow people's businesses and like what is not cool about that and so um I don't have to be the one that's like hey we never got your remittance check for the last six months what's going on that's never me and I feel bad kind of even saying that but I don't have to have those conversations I get to come in and say tell me about your business and I get to hear people that are fourth generation especially on the east coast that are like man you know my great-grandfather started this business and now I'm here and this is my son by the way and there's this little six-year-old in the background and this is what we do. And, and it's a relationship business. And I get to say, hey, let's tell people your story um, and grow your business in a way that that embodies what Walt told me. Um, the rising tide raises all ships. So that is a very convoluted. And most people that listen to me just say that probably still have no idea what I do. So but let's I, back it up. Let's back it up. 2007, <laughs> you're getting out of school. You're going into the real estate business right around the time Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers are collapsing. You're entering in as a real estate agent first and right. foremost, right? So tell yeah. me where it went from there. Yeah, well, I decided I worked on a movie called Glory Road. It was a Disney movie about the 1966 national champion basketball team from Texas Western, which is not new. I remember that first all African-American starting lineup uh, in a national championship. And so it just made a big splash. Great movie. I worked on it, decided, hey, I should work on movies. This is great. Maybe I could even be an actor. But if not, I'll be behind the screen, behind the camera. This is so fun. So what could I do when I graduated in a couple months where I could leave for a few months and go work on a film and then come back and not get fired? I should be a real estate agent. Within two weeks of getting my real estate license, you know, everything going on and you're, 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 you're right to it. fact check me about that. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, uh, I was like, nope, I have to be here all the time. I actually have to work more <laughs> than a regular job if I want to succeed in this. So um, I kind of gave up on that dream pretty quickly. Um, but love the real estate business, still have my license. I keep it up. Sometimes I kind of wonder because I really don't do much with it anymore. Um, but I, I had a broker that, you know, we've since, I've since moved my license and whatever, but I had a broker who was super involved and very active at the state level and introduced me to a lot of people. I joined the Women's Council of Realtors. I had a woman come up to me and say, hey, did you know WCAR is not just for women? And I was like, really? Because women is actually in the title. <laughs> and they're like, no, I promise. So within six months, I was the, the chair, the marketing chair for the state, the Texas state chapter of the women's council of realtors and traveling around with them through them i met people at the national association of realtors and did some fun lobbying stuff on behalf of texas and nar at one point and really start to see the whole picture and i really owe that to to women's council i mean 100 percent. the people that i met uh and the experiences that i had and going to dc and all this stuff I mean, not only was it because of them, but in a lot of cases, I mean, they paid for me to go. It was in the budget because I was the vice president of membership locally or whatever, I got to go. And so that really gave me the bigger picture. There was so much more to the industry than me doing door hangers and trying to list and sell homes in El Paso. There were, you know, and I think that's what got me kind of excited is, wow, this is a big, I mean, there's something about having a suit on with my realtor button, you know, walking down the hallways of Congress and, and visiting Congress people and senators and having an audience with people like that. And um, I was like, wow, this is this is a really cool industry. I mean, these these people are legit. And then 
I, uh, after about nine years of doing that full time, I decided I was going to go into medical device sales. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I was, I had four or five deals fall apart in one month and my close friends will remember this. I had four or five deals, some of the biggest deals I'd ever had um, fall apart in one month. And I think that the, 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 you know, times were tough for me at that point. That was probably, that was 2013, I think. And in one month, I lost probably, you know, a year and a half of, of uh, income. And three of the five or six deals, I guess five that fell apart, in my opinion, were solely because of the lack of experience and lack of, of giving up with the other agent. Like they didn't care. They either didn't know or they didn't care and they wouldn't let me try and help. And it cost me income. And I sat there and was like, man, I really like this industry and this is great. But like relying on other people for my income, I, I don't know about that. Huh. So I decided I'm going to go into medical device, start interviewing. That's an insanely competitive industry, by the way. Like I learned a lot about uh, hernial mesh was one of them. And I could tell you all kinds of things about different types of hernias. Um, but I had all these interviews, had uh, in theory accepted a position with Stryker in, in trauma devices. Um, and then I had lunch with uh, the owner of a local title company here. That's the biggest one in town. And uh, he said, so you're just going to leave like, you know, eight or nine years of people and relationships and experience and, and leave. And I said, yeah, I think so. And he's like, I just can't believe you're going to do that. I was like, well, I mean, I just, I, I feel like I got to do something else right now. This is not, you know, go back to last month when I had all those deals fall apart. This is stressful. I don't want to live like this. And so the next morning I woke up and I had a four page offer letter in my email from him saying, Hey, get in the title business basically. Um, so fast forward was with them for five and a half years became a vice president and um, had some, had some stake in that. And then, uh, and then life happened in a big way for me, had all kinds of crazy things going on in, in my life and just really kind of like the pandemic did for everybody. I did that a couple of years ago where I just kind of was like, stop Zach Morris timeout reset. What am I doing here? Um, and uh started a little social media company helping small businesses in Texas, New Mexico, a few other states grow online. Had a lot of fun doing that because it was a rising tide mentality. Hey, let's, you know, um, and when somebody was like, no, we can't pay this. It was more like, Hey, I, I kind of just want to do it anyway, <laughs> you know? And it was fun um, to, to help some small businesses really kind of come into their own and grow. And, um, and around that time, uh, my friends at WFG picked up the phone and gave me a call and, and, and the rest is history. And now I'm here and I'm just so excited to be here. Everything happened. I'm one of those people that like, you know, my parents are educators and we're always educators. Um, and you don't change jobs every like two years or five years. Like, you, you know, my, my grandparents, you know, maybe they changed schools because my grand, my, my grandfather was an educator too, but he, you know, he was a principal for, 35 years and a teacher for 20 years before that and was in the workplace for 50 plus years, you know? And so I kind of saw, saw that I was like, Oh man, I don't want to be bouncing around like this, but now I've seen it as, um, 
each experience is leading to the next experience. And now I really feel like I've kind of come home. I mean, maybe someday it translates into something else uh, in the title industry, um, you know, as a kind of glory years plan or something like that. But I mean, I'm just, I'm so thankful to be where I am with the people I'm with. And, uh, you know, there's always little things here and there that, that can get us down or put a kind of cramp our style a little bit. But if you have a, a group of people around you that want to help other people, want to do good for other people and want to do the right things, like the rest kind of seems to work itself out, you know? Um, so that's kind of my career trajectory in a nutshell. So where did you learn these skills? So as a real estate agent, how much of social media and marketing was part of your I was the first person that I knew to have like a Facebook page. Um, there were, I'm sure there were many before me, but right. of, of the people that I knew, I was the first person. And I remember I just shared the other day on Facebook, um, a, a post from like 2013 or 12 or something like that. When I got my first 500 followers on yes. my, my Facebook page and that, you know, people, I shared that and a couple of people saw it and whatever I think you did. And like, um, but that means a lot to me looking back because first of all, I was so excited. I was like, man, the, the possibilities are endless here. And this is before like ads and all that stuff was even like a part of it. Um, but secondly, looking back right now, when I sit down and I talk to somebody about using the power of like, you know, digital content and social media, I mean, I had 500 followers in 2013 in El Paso, Texas as a realtor. And that is so cool. Like, <laughs> I'm such a nerd. Like, um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I embraced it in my own, there was no training then there was no like, you know, uh, paperless agent and breakthrough and all these people that are doing awesome trainings now and in men and all this stuff like that was not at least on my radar then. I mean, it may have been on others, but I didn't hear anything about stuff like that. So it was really like my, a friend of mine that went to Cornell named Rob, um, computer genius, um, coding genius. And he once told me, he's like, no one's going to die on the other end of the computer if you do something wrong. Right, and I right. think it was that that kind of propelled me into like, yeah, I'm just going to create a page. And like, wow, that doesn't look right. It's none of the images are formatted correctly. It looks like crap. Well, no one's dead, though. I'll just figure it out, you know. And so I just kind of started figuring it out. And as other things rolled out, because I was really comfortable with that platform at that point, the other stuff you know, when I started playing with AdWords on Google and all that kind of stuff, and as, as more platforms rolled out, it was just like a free-for-all. You know, I, I get excited, the idea that like, you, you don't have a business page, oh my gosh. So in 10 minutes, you have a business page, you exist, all the, 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 the information is complete, all of the graphics are sized correctly and look fantastic, and all of a sudden it's like, you're legit online now. You know, like, to me, that's exciting. And they've made everything so much easier now that like, it's, it's not hard. Um, and not that it was hard then, but Facebook in 2013 was definitely not Facebook of 2021. So you took that, you took it to the title company, you took it out as an independent entrepreneur, and now you're sharing that with who? So now I'm sharing that with really anybody that wants to listen, but with my role now, um, I get to sit down with with anybody that works with or is going to be working with WFG National Title and kind of as an added benefit, um, you know, our company West is a sister company of WFG and we get to sit down and, and, and help people grow their business online, you know, I mean, that's just one part of it, but, um, you know, title agents, law firms, 
indirectly through a lot of our title agents. I work with real estate agents still, which is kind of fun for me, you know, um, because that's my, you know, the, that's the, the, the jet fuel in my rocket ride so far. That's where it started, you know? Um, so I get excited to do stuff like that. And, and it came from, you know, you, you mentioned taking it to the title company. So as a real estate agent, I remember thinking like, hey, if I went to go work for this title company, it's an opportunity to, to make them relatable. Because I was like, man, as a realtor, I know what I want. I know what I don't want. Why does everybody keep trying to give me what I don't want? Like the things that you're offering me, I don't care about. My clients don't care about. And, and so to be able to speak that language and take it to another part of the industry, um, I, I, that's one of my favorite things about marketing. People are always like, well, I don't know, you know, what would be most engaging for me to, for me to, you know, for content online? What's most engaging for you? What are the things that you see that you like? Well, I hadn't really thought about that. Let's think about that. You are your own best, um, you know, source. You are your own best litmus test. And, and, you know, you don't need to go out and do market studies and market research. You are the market, right? And, and so when you start thinking about it like that, you know, I, I, I joke from time to time about um, like MLS statistics, right? Like every, everybody, we always share like MLS statistics, unless it's, packaged really nicely in a single like one page graphic or something when is the last time any of us actually like delved into that stuff and looked at it and frankly we're getting it served up in our emails too so I already know the stats I don't need you to share the stats and so we have those conversations and realtors are like man that's so true or title companies or lenders like they're like man I do I just share that stuff because it's easy and I'm like how many you know what kind of engagement do you get and they're like none I'm like then why do we keep doing it I don't know well let's just stop Okay, that's kind of uncomfortable, though, but all right, you know, what do you see that's engaging? Man, I love when I learn a little bit about the story of somebody that's buying or selling a house when it's something really cool. I engage with that. That's, that's really awesome to remind us that we are a part of the journey of the great American dream, the biggest thing in most people's lives, and we get to be a part of it. That's engaging for me. Cool. When's the last time you posted something about that? Never. Okay, well, let's start thinking about, you know, like, and it just turns into this conversation of like, what do you like? What, what is intriguing and engaging to you? What makes people relatable to you? And but let's Sam, do But Sam, I, I'm not interesting. No one's going to want to hear what I have to say. Oh, man, that's, that could not be further from the truth, right? As you know, I mean, you mentioned uh, doing this podcast itself with somebody recently who had opened up a seamstress shop. Is that correct? Yeah. Right? That's interesting, man. I want to know about that. And, and I think, why did Anthony Bourdain become uh, so, so powerful in our culture? Because he just told people stories, random people, you know, and there's people that were on his show that, that walked him around Bangkok, that walked him around Vancouver, Philadelphia, New York City, Boston, that I can picture them in my head right now because he made the story about them and they were interesting. And so I think um, the spice of life is that we're all different. We sound different. We look different. We come from a different place. Some of us come from a home that was difficult. Some of us come from utopia, you know, and it's what makes this so cool. You know, I, I celebrated my year anniversary with West last uh, like Friday, I guess, or Thursday or something. And I didn't know you a year ago. 
I consider you a friend. I consider you somebody I can count on. I consider you somebody that I could text and, and share things with and get a response that's valuable. And, um, and I didn't know that you existed a year ago. And so how many other people are there out there that we don't know exist right now that I would love to know about? You know, and it's funny when I when I try to get people to come on and share their story on the podcast and they say those things. Some of the things they say is, well, what if I offend somebody and, and I didn't mean to? My answer is, well, you don't know that. You'll never know that because they'll never call you. But you may have the opportunity to talk with an abundance of people that are more like you because they actually hear from you. And here you are. Maya Angelo, right? We're more alike than we are different, period. Like, I, 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 I hate that, that that's people's first reaction in some cases. Well, I just don't want to upset anybody. I don't want to offend anybody. When, when's the last time that you did or said something that you knew upset or offended somebody? And two things. One, it doesn't happen that often. Two, when it does, just like business, when something goes wrong, that is the best possible time to build a relationship, right? So if, if I offend somebody or upset somebody, the fact that I actually care, I want to know how I made them feel and, and, and show them that I actually care and I, I apologize for that and make it right and learn from it for the rest of whatever days I have left on this earth. Um, I think that's the cool thing. You know, I don't want to go around offending people, but if somebody comes up and says, hey, Sam, you know what? You said X, Y, and Z. You know, I work for Goldman Sachs and you misspoke and that really hurt my feelings. I'm like, man, I should have been more educated when I said that. And I don't even know why I said that because I knew that was like, but whatever. Yeah, but that's what's so, that's what's so cool, right? Like, I mean, the, the number one time to create a raving fan or a long-term relationship or a good friend is when you're going through something that's difficult. And whether it's because I offended you or rather, whether it's because you're going through something hard right now and I'm just there for you as another human, having get, been through hard things myself, whatever it is, like that's where you create the glue in long-term relationships. It comes from those things. It doesn't come from, we agree on every single thing, everything's hunky-dory and we're just skipping down the road together. Like that's not where it comes from. Right. Let me ask you this. If someone were to write a testimonial, uh, WFG brought Sam into my organization and finish it. He cared, period. Period, I love that. I love that. Hey, one of the uh, most important questions that we have on this show uh, revolves around karaoke. Do you have a go-to karaoke song? Um, I do. Um, I don't know how appropriate it is, but it's Gin and Juice by Snoop Dogg. Really? Yeah. And you know that by heart, you don't even need the words in front of you? Yeah, I, sometimes I need one to get kicked off just because I get so embarrassed. But yeah, for, for, for sure. And I've done it all over the world. I, I remember doing it in London one time, I, I, in LA, in New York, El Paso, Dallas. Like, I love it. And it's, so, and it's disarming because I'm like this nerdy white dude. But I love art. And, and, uh, and Snoop is an artist, man. I love that. I love that. So when we get everybody together at some point down in the future, one of our networking uh, missions for the guests of elements of styles is going to be a karaoke party and you will be doing that and i'm sure the crowd will be fully supporting that's why we love karaoke so much right because of that that yeah. support everyone gets how does how would someone get in touch with you if they wanted to work with you in wfg 
Um, there is a, a litany of ways, um, but you know, find me on Instagram, SM Trimble. Um, find me on Facebook under Sam Trimble. My cell phone number is 915-205-0134. Text me, call me, whatever. Um, I am an open book and, uh, you know, life is hard. You know, this, this is not an easy journey and we can't do it alone. Um, and so I'm ex anytime somebody, I always, when I teach classes and stuff, I have a QR code that pops up at the end that people can scan and it connects to all my stuff. And I love it when people do, you know, um, we are so much less individually than we are together. Um, and I consider you, you know, uh, it's funny, my friends, my family, uh, pretty much everyone I work with is like, oh yeah, that's that's your friend outside of Boston, right? You know, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> they, they, all, they all know Mark, you know. Um, and if I were to say something about Sam, it would be he cared. That's a very appropriate testimonial for who you are and what you're doing for this industry and specifically for us agents who are in a challenged industry to 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 put ourselves out there and be different and yeah. make this process smooth and easy what's a very clunky clunky process and I, I do thank you for that well thank you for the opportunity i mean not only to be here today but but to work alongside you and and to be your friend you know it's it's an honor and i mean that i appreciate you as well hey thanks for joining us today if you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice for a new episode each week and share this with everyone and anyone. If you have any questions or comments or have an idea for another guest, feel free to shoot me an email at mstyles at styles-law.com. That's M-S-T-I-L-E-S at styles-law.com. And if you are a real estate professional, be sure to check us out on our private exclusive Facebook page, The Real Estate School at 892 for content and Massachusetts continuing education opportunities. Be well, folks. Today's episode is sponsored by Securitidal. Securitidal helps Massachusetts real estate attorneys, real estate agents, loan professionals, buyers, and sellers with all of their title, settlement, and escrow needs. Securitidal, S-E-C-U-R-I-T-I-T-L-E.com, where security and title come together. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or an endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Please seek legal, financial, or tax advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed herein.